Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 103. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm bringing you an interview with a guest who practices in Texas using acceptance and commitment therapy, also called ACT. I always thought it was called ACT, but it's ACT. So listen in to my interview with Valerie Martin, who talks about how she uses ACT in working with clients who have trauma. Now, this is not a trauma processing therapy modality, but it's still a way that one can work with clients who have trauma when people are more in the acute stages of crisis. So check it out. And don't forget, if you haven't done so already, download the Therapy Chat app from the iTunes store. Sorry, it's only for Apple users right now, but we're getting a pretty great response and I would love for you to download it. You can have all your episodes together in one place, star your favorites to come back to them, easily send them to your friends and your family members who you want to share the information with and keep them all organized in one place. And if you have the Therapy Chat podcast app, I would love for you to go to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. Right now, there are none. So it would be wonderful if those hundreds of you who have downloaded the app might go and share what you think of it. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Valerie Martin about ACT. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am talking with a fascinating guest all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm speaking with Valerie Martin, LCSW. Valerie, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. I, As I told you before, I just love the podcast and have really gotten a lot out of listening to it. So it's an honor to be here. Oh, thanks so much for saying that. 
And I'm honored that you wanted to be here. We are going to talk today about something that a few things that I don't talk about often on this podcast because they're not really my area of expertise, but I'm really curious to learn about your work using ACT and other methods with eating disorders and people who've experienced trauma. So let's just start off by you talking a little bit more. Tell us about yourself and about the work you do. Sure. So I uh, moved to Nashville five years ago. I'm a Texan born and raised. And I started working right away at a treatment center, residential treatment center out here. And very lucky in the sense that it's not the kind of place that really just like, let's just focus on the drugs and alcohol and the eating disorder behaviors. It's really about getting to all of the underlying stuff. And really everything we do is from that lens. So I kind of got into that specifically to work in the eating disorders program, because um, my own eating disorder recovery is really what led to me get, going back to grad school after working in marketing for a few years. And little did I know, and from my sheltered little world, that when I went to work with eating disorders, I would also uh, learn a lot about trauma and addiction and relationship issues, all of all of the things that travel and, of course, depression, anxiety, all of the co-occurring things that come along with it. So developed a passion for a lot of a lot of those different things and just the uh, kind of how they all interconnect and the trauma that underlies everything. So I have been doing that for five years and now I'm not specifically just in the eating disorders program anymore, but I'm more of a trauma specialist who works with all of or any of the clients and also I'm a registered yoga teacher, teach classes there. And I have started a private practice at the beginning of this year. And I'm really loving doing that and wanting to continue growing with that. So that's kind of what I do. And I'm sure we'll get into more of the specifics around how I do that and the things that I prefer using. But that's kind of the big picture. Yeah, I love that. And um, thank you for pointing out that, you know, I mean, it's my very firm belief that whatever behaviors we see in a client, then maybe the behaviors that they bring for work and therapy, you know, there's something under that that's causing the behavior, something emotional is driving that. And it's not just like, stop the behavior, but figuring out what it's caused by and, you know, addressing that. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's there's a couple of layers with it, with eating disorders and really with any other type of um, of behavior, compulsive behavior or addiction is there's the layer of I don't know how to deal with my feelings that are happening and I don't know how to deal with my anxiety. And so I know that this works. This helps when I do it. So that ultimately an eating disorder, like a lot of other behaviors is a way of regulating anxiety and emotion. Mm -hmm. And then there's the layer underneath that of the trauma and why might it be even more difficult for me to self-regulate than what, you know, maybe the people I see around me, but really working with both of those layers. And you mentioned the, the ACT component, acceptance and commitment therapy. And from that perspective, which I kind of view ACT as 
there are specific kind of things that I will do with clients experientially that are sort of act tools, but really it's more of a philosophy and kind of the lens that I look through. And from that perspective, it's they they see as psychological problems really coming from our ineffective efforts to avoid and control unpleasant thoughts and feelings. So just that what they call experiential avoidance and how we can learn to make space for those uncomfortable feelings, because if we don't, then we're not going to really take the actions that give our life meaning. So that's, it's kind of more of an existential view from, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm really glad you explained that. I don't know very much about it. Do people call it ACT? Because <laughs> I thought it they was do, called yeah. ACT. I know, so. See, I don't even know that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, ev- you know, every other one is just an acronym. But I think it's, yeah, so they call it ACT. And I, that's partially because it is very focused on action. You know, it's a behavioral therapy kind of coming off the branch of CBT and DBT and mindfulness based and all of that. So it's rather than necessarily trying to change or get rid of our uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. It's okay, how do I make room and then act, take committed actions that align with what matters to me and my values. Mm, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about in your practice, what populations do you work with? And how do you combine these different pieces? Like, I don't know how much you use the being a yoga teacher and then act and your background with residential treatment and all of that. So just give us a, an idea more about how you do that and what you do. Sure. So I work really with adults and older adolescents. Um, I can, I'll do some couples work, but I will be the first to admit that's not necessarily my specialty. And eventually I'll, I'll love to get more, more training in that area. So really mostly working with um, individuals, men and women, though I'd say women tend to be more kind of, it, it depends. It depends on when I'm working with trauma, really it's, it, it doesn't feel very different working with men or with women, mm-hmm. but in my private practice, I'm just, I think I'm bringing in more women than men. Mm-hmm. And and really just kind of obviously meeting the client where they're at, what they're needing, but integrating all the different components. So if they're coming in, they're really struggling with a lot of anxiety, I might rather than kind of getting into the trauma work at that moment, we might spend some time just kind of experientially with some different props, exploring different ways of relating with that anxiety. So what it you know, this is what it looks like when I push it away. And that can be very exhausting. And this is what it looks like when I kind of shove it down and pretend it's not there. And then these are these other different ways that I can practice relating with it. So I might kind of bring in some of the act stuff there and, and do some discussion around values and what matters to them. And then, you know, just kind of as it makes sense, integrating the work on the older stuff. And for some clients, you know, they are specifically coming in because they know they have kind of trauma stuff that they need to work through. And for some, it's more of, you know, they're, as I'm sure you experience all the time, they might be coming in for whatever their present concern is. And as you kind of build the relationship and, and they become more comfortable, they're, they're able to see how the old stuff is playing into it and, and then integrating EMDR or 
somatic work, just kind of however we decide to work with that. And I always tell my clients, I always want your input. I'm happy to, you know, give direction or ideas what I think that we could do, but I will always ask you first because if you have an intuition, let's go with it. Yeah, love that. Because we really know ourselves best and we're often looking to outside of ourselves for answers. And, you know, sometimes uh, in a therapeutic process that can become like a passivity where the client feels like they don't know anything and the therapist has all the answers. And then the therapist is like either helping the client realize that the answers are within them or taking on the responsibility of trying to have all the answers, which we can't. So that's Mm -hmm. frustrating for both. Yeah, right. Do you use EMDR as well? I do. Yeah, I use that with all of most all of my clients who I work with in treatment who are specifically seeing me for the trauma piece. Mm -hmm. And then with my private practice clients, just really depending on if it's if it seems like a good fit for them and something that would help them with their goals. Yeah. So you've got a a great toolbox there. Yeah, I'm working on it. I know we've kind of talked about, I'm just, I just am so uh, hungry for information. And Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of us therapists are really good at acquiring information and not always applying it. But I, I mean, I'm just any training I could do, I would love to do and just continuing to integrate it. And I know that you're really interested in the body-based kind of work too. And that I find fascinating. And, and it's, I have been able to do some one-on-one yoga sessions with people and, and even just some of the things that I'll offer as I'm teaching a class, that's more of a general class. Like we're not, it's not specifically necessarily trauma sensitive yoga protocol, but I am integrating a lot of those best practices and invitational language and that kind of thing. And, and just kind of sprinkling in some things like you might notice when we do hip openers that sometimes we hold a lot of feelings in our hips and I'll have guys come up to me afterwards and, and say, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't know why I was feeling like that. And, you know, encouraging them. Okay. Maybe something to take into your therapy session later today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for everyone who's listening, if you didn't know, we hold a lot of emotion in our hips and yes, some of those yoga different movements and, and positions can really make space for that to come out. Yeah. Activate those emotions. And sometimes it's pretty surprising, I think for people. Yeah, definitely. I've heard more than one person say, and there I was sitting there crying in the yoga class and I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and hopefully that's a good indication that the, the teacher has really created a space that feels safe enough to do that and really respecting and honoring that because, yeah, I think that there's plenty of just, you know, regular yoga classes out there that where the teacher is not informed about some of those things and all of the issues around touch and, and things like that, that for anyone listening who goes to yoga or is a yoga teacher, I, I certainly hope that anyone who goes to a class knows that you can always, always, always say no as far as touch. Cause I think, and that's the tough thing is people feel like, well, it feels uncomfortable to say no. I don't want the teacher to feel like to get their feelings hurt. And, and especially if you're a trauma survivor and you didn't have that op- option to say no, that it, it doesn't always feel like an option, even if technically it is. So 
yeah, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but no, no, uh, no, I'm very no. passionate about that. No, I love what you're saying. I'm so grateful that you said that. And people who are listening to this may have heard a couple of weeks ago, I had David Emerson on the podcast and he was talking about trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga. And, you know, he talked about that, but I think sometimes we kind of like skip past that, like, well, of course, we all have to be sensitive about touch. And many people who are listening may be like, oh, what, what, what do you mean? So yeah, I think it's okay to slow down about that because, you know, I was actually in a yoga class last week and I mean, it was a great class. And one thing that I noticed is that in the moving between, you know, from one pose to another, there wasn't really much time for noticing one's emotional experience. And, and that wasn't intentional on the yoga teacher's part, but there is an emotional experience happening mm-hmm. for all of us, you know? So if we're kind of just focused on moving through so quickly, because it's like a workout routine kind of thing, yep. you know, that we can miss part of what we could be taking away from it. And then the other thing is this teacher who I know had nothing but the best intentions. And I mean, I truly loved the class, but I watched as she walked over to someone and walked up behind him. So he didn't know she was coming Mm -hmm. and she, she did touch him and adjusted his position. And, you know, I saw that he seemed okay with, I mean, he seemed from what I could see across the room, he seemed okay. He didn't seem startled, but Mm -hmm. He didn't know she was going to be touching him. So when would he even have had a chance to say no? Right. Yeah, it it is so tricky. And that's one of the things that I try to kind of also sprinkle throughout is just take a second to check in with yourself. Just kind of notice what's showing up and and that there's the physical stuff. And then there's just even the idea that correcting someone. And I can't remember if if um, this came up when you were talking with David Emerson, but one of the things that. I have always just felt when practicing yoga and then when I was reading some of his books going, oh, yeah, like this is it's not just me feeling this Mm -hmm. is that idea of like, well, you're you're telling me basically that I'm doing it wrong, that I should be doing it better. And obviously there's a place with safety, like I'll always, you know, okay, make sure your knees behind your ankle, that kind of thing. But in general, like there's just not a need to fix somebody when they're having their own experience. Right. As long as they're not going to injure their body with the the position that they're in, of course, you know, the teacher would have some responsibility to help them not injure themselves. But yeah, he did talk about too how yoga instructors who haven't had trauma training, you know, they're telling the participants what to do instead of inviting. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And one of the things just kind of that I was just thinking about a little bit separate from that, but even integrating yoga into a therapy session, like I'll have clients who are starting to border on panic attack for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that, and and this tends to be more in in residential when, where they're, they're kind of at more of a vulnerable place, but we'll all kind of guide them into getting into uh, Viparita Karani, which is legs up the wall and sometimes adding a little, little blanket under the low back. But that is so good for anxiety. So just even knowing how that, you know, it doesn't have to be that we're 
necessarily doing a lot of yoga in the session, although that might be appropriate at times, but that even just getting down there and and letting them spend a couple of minutes in that shape and that, that seeing how they can regulate their own nervous system by doing things like that. Yeah. And having a safe space to try it and practice it with someone who's there to guide and help instead of, I mean, we can do things on our own, but that can be a beautiful use of therapy time. And I think I moved into a different office a year ago because I felt like there wasn't space to move around in my office. Mm -hmm. And clients are often surprised when I invite them to stand up or I say, you know, let's try, you know, if you're willing to try this, let's, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, I can stand here and you find a place to stand where you feel comfortable. And they're like, uh, we're going to stand up. Um, okay, what are we doing? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a right. level of trust there. I mean, it's, I'm asking them to give something a try. They can say they don't want to, and, and that's right. perfectly fine. But, but when you move around, it's, it's, there's a different experience of talking about emotional things. You know, when you're sitting still, you know, I've, I've definitely seen people sitting and they, they're kind of looking at the sofa like they would like to maybe lie down or they'd like to put their yeah. feet up, but they're not sure if they should. So they just stay in a seated position. And you know how it's different that emotional process in your body when you're like mm-hmm. stiffly, formally seated and, you know, right. versus movement. And how about if we get on the floor and try this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So having that option, having the space and I like to have all kinds of random, you know, props and things around too. Like even yesterday, just working with someone who was so overwhelmed by her sadness and really struggling to make room for it and and also just kind of collapsing into it. So she was willing to stand up and I grabbed the long yoga strap, held both ends of it and almost did like a tug of war thing for a couple of minutes. And she was able to just feel a sense of of strength and empowerment and energy in her body that she wasn't going to feel if we just kept sitting and talking about what she was feeling. Mm-hmm. That's a great example of, I know you and I talked offline about sensory motor psychotherapy, but that's a great example of some of the types of things that we do in sensory motor psychotherapy too. You know, there's like pushing and pulling and mm-hmm. different ways of using your body that activate, you know, a sense of empowerment it's really amazing. So yeah. it's beautiful that you do that. Yeah, it's it's really, it's neat seeing how all the things, like it, you just kind of trust, you know, as we say, trust the process, mm-hmm. that all of the things that we know will come together. And it's so, it never ceases to amaze me how much I feel like therapy is so much like improv because mm. we're, just, we're just constantly thinking on our feet and going, ooh, what about this? Ooh, maybe this. And, you know, and these things from these, you know, different trainings and different mm-hmm. modalities that just in that moment can blend in a really beautiful way. You're right. And what you said about improv is so true because with improv, you have to really trust that it's going to come together and it's going to be okay. Even if it's not, it doesn't go the way you want it to or expect it to. It's like letting go of control. Mm hmm. One of the hardest things to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking about this kind of tying it back into the act stuff, like standing, like I'll have clients who will, 
at the end of working on a, let's say like a, a sexual assault memory with some EMDR work, and we'll end standing in kind of a power pose and being able to feel that and, and be able to say, I am in here, I'm in this body, this is my body. And, you know, standing in that powerful pose and thinking about the research around that, like in Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Mm-hmm. can't remember the, have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's so I good. I can't remember the name. Yeah, it's something like Presence, or I think Presence yes. is the name of her book. But yes. And it's interesting because... <laughs> That's, there's a lot of really wonderful things about the talk and, and I've recommended it to some clients, but with, with other clients, like people who have a lot of trauma, there's some things in the talk that I feel like have to be processed a little bit. Cause they talk about, she talks about like powerful people and, and, um, not powerful people. Mm. Like it's very dichotomous and mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, this is, they're simplifying it for research purposes. Like, let's just kind of look at that. But ultimately the message being like, if I stand in this way, that I can, even if I'm not feeling, quote, confident, that I can act it until I become it. And that's really parallels well with, with the acceptance and commitment therapy stuff that it's mm-hmm. so much of our where we get stuck is we think that, well, I, I can't do this until I feel confident or I can't, you know, I, I'm not good enough to do this. So and I still have those not good enough thoughts and I shouldn't. But it's like, okay, well, what if, you know, the whole feel the fear and do it anyway mm-hmm. kind of thing that that I think some people don't feel super comfortable with the whole idea of fake it till you make it because it sounds kind of artificial. But mm-hmm. if you think of acting our way into right thinking, like I'm going to decide what my values are, I'm going to decide how I want to show up in the world, I'm going to just I'm going to identify some actions that would take me closer to those values and I'm going to be able to make room for the uncomfortable stuff that's going to show up along the way. So even if I don't feel confident about doing it, I'm not going to wait for that. I'm going to do it and make room for those kind of self-doubt thoughts to be there. I love it. That's And, I, and you are really good at explaining that. <laughs> I'm glad you think so, because it doesn't feel that way right now. But <laughs> Yeah, no, you are. I mean, uh, some people can really put into words what they do. I'm not very great at that at all. It's like, I know what I do. But when someone asks yeah. me to explain it, I'm like, uh, well, it's just like really cool and <laughs> yeah. it works and it's like, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, how many, do you have half an hour? I, I can tell right. you, but I can't do it succinctly. <laughs> That's right. No 30 second little elevator speech or whatever. I'm not good at that. Yeah. It's hard. Cause this is complicated stuff. And it's, it's like, it, we're talking about the, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I also get blown away at just how, much the work that we do, this is, it's, we're talking about life at the most fundamental level and Mm -hmm. what it means to be human and what it means to be alive and to experience pain and relationships. And it's, I, I don't know. It's like when I think about, there's so many jobs out there that I think are, are really amazing in their own right. And I think people sometimes think, well, you know, I, I don't, my job doesn't do anything like if there's I'm an accountant, like there's no meaning in it. But that doesn't mean that like that person might love accounting and they find meaning in other areas of life outside of their paid job. But the fact that like we do this for a living and get paid to like, talk about these things with people is so, so cool. I agree. It's really a sacred honor to be able to do this kind of work with people and to for them to allow us into their lives and trust 
you know, that we will, that we have the right intentions and, yeah, you know, that we will do everything we can to try to help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. And especially when they've been hurt before many times mm-hmm. as, you know, trauma survivors have, and usually in relationships. So it's really, we can't underestimate just the significance of someone making the decision to come and allow us to walk with them in that way. It's very special. Right. Absolutely. And one of the other things that I love about ACT is that it is a very shoulder to shoulder kind of philosophy that it's not that the therapist is the guru and the director, but they, so they use a ton of metaphors. In fact, one of my favorite ACT books is called something like the big book of ACT metaphors. And (laughs) so it's, it's really something that they encourage you to use very experientially. And so one of the metaphors is the two mountains metaphor that basically is like being able to tell your client, it's not that I'm the expert and, you know, know how to do life better than you and have it all figured out. It's like, you know, we're kind of, I'm on this mountain next to you on the, on your mountain. And, you know, I might be able to see some things coming up ahead of you on your mountain that you might not see. And that, you know, sometimes in some areas, you're a little further ahead of me and other areas, I might be a little further ahead of you. And I can kind of warn you about what might be coming. So just very humble and I don't know, relational doesn't feel like the right word, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what the right word is, but I really, that resonates really well for me. Just, you know, taking away the power differential Mm -hmm. and, you know, two humans, you know, the shared humanity. I mean, that's what really stands out for me in Mm -hmm. everything you've said today. And I'm wondering because that book sounds great and I'll put it in the show notes, but Mm -hmm. Can people use ACT without fully completing a training? I don't know. I have no idea what their training process yeah. is. Yeah. No, it's, I'm glad you asked because I also love that part of it. But it's the people who ha- have kind of created it. And and then there's tons of, tons of therapists using it all over the world um, and trainers and things like that. Like they want it to be really accessible kind of like open source Mm. (laughs) from the software metaphor. But so there's no certification process. It's just like, yes, they will offer different trainings. And I mean, I think I did a boot camp four years ago that was like (laughs) these 10 hour days for like four days. And it was like $450 or something. It was insanely affordable. Yeah, that's exceptionally cheap for 40 hours of training. Yeah, it was really, really good. And So they do offer trainings just to really kind of dig into the material, but it's, and then they have an organization it's, which you can put in the notes too, but it's contextualscience.org because it's sort of based in contextual and behavioral sciences, what the association for contextual and behavioral sciences. So it's like a little organization that you can join for, I think it's even like a sliding scale. It's not like pay us $200 a year kind of thing, mm-hmm. but you can get on their listserv. They have tons of really awesome information online for clinicians. And then also there's a ton of ACT self-help books. So on, on all kinds of different subjects. And the one that I recommend the most, just because it's pretty universal, is called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. He's written a ton of books and has like fun YouTube videos and stuff explaining some of the different concepts. And he also wrote a really good one for clinicians that's called Act Made Simple. 
And so that's like, instead of getting the really technical, jargony, theory-based book, you can get Act Made Simple and really get your hands on a lot of tools and things that you can implement right away with people. Wonderful. You know, I am just, I have the biggest smile on my face because I'm like, (laughs) you know how I know you're a social worker is that you love connecting people with resources and you're freely like just rattling them off. And I'm sure people are (laughs) just furiously taking notes. I am going to put all of that in the show notes. And I'm so grateful you mentioned all those resources because you sold me on wanting to find out more (laughs) about ACT and wanting to bring those concepts. I mean, it kind of, it, it, aligns with the framework I already use, but I like, you know, I love the idea of finding new metaphors because the metaphors I find, I just come up with them myself. And sometimes yeah. <laughs> I tell my clients, sometimes I'm like, I'm the queen of cliches. Like I'll just, I'll be throwing together like three metaphors in one sentence. And it's just it's like a little, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, uh, let's take a step back from that one. <laughs> Mixing the metaphors. That's right. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're in the Chinese finger trap, but you're also standing in quicksand. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah, like Chinese finger trap is another great one where it's like, and I keep saying I should like right after we get off the phone, I should order a bunch of Chinese finger traps because I'm always like trying to mimic it without actually having one. But you know, it's like the harder you, the more you try to get out of it, the more stuck you get. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, if we relax into it and make room for it, it's like, oh, okay, now this is a lot better. But um, that's a yeah, perfect I know I metaphor for the yeah. whole making space for the emotions. Right. And that suffering is really the pain times resistance that mm-hmm. I don't I can yeah. I don't have to suffer as much if I can make room for that. But yeah, I didn't talk a ton about eating disorders. But the thing that it, that's kind of cool is that also from that perspective, it's all kind of the same. Like it all applies to whatever types of behaviors, because even from an act perspective, when they talk about like what, what our treatment goals are. And this is, I'm actually going to read a little quote here from a book that's by Emily Sandoz and a couple of other folks. She's an awesome act uh, researcher and professor and has written a couple of books. But she says, we don't target behaviors for change in act because they are defined as abnormal or dysfunctional by some external criterion. Rather, we start with an articulated goal to help our clients lead valued lives. And then we target behaviors for change that are likely to interfere with the client's values. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, rather than saying, well, you shouldn't restrict because restricting is bad. It's like, okay, let's look at, see how, you know, the things that you are wanting to do that you need energy. And so that can be the motivation for, for giving your body the nourishment that it needs, not because, you know, you should be practicing recovery skills. Yeah, because having a dis- eating disorder is bad, so you need to right. stop that. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's your only motivation for not doing it. E- meanwhile, right. it's meeting a need, yeah. you know, and so you have to figure out where it's in conflict with your with your, your true value. values, yeah, and what you're trying to achieve. I love that. So, what's yeah. the name of that book? So I can put that one in there too. I don't have it in front of me. It's I can send it to you. It's it's something like uh, acceptance and commitment therapy for eating disorders. I think that's it. But then the other one that she has, which is so that's for clinicians, but she has one. The title of this one is great. And I have it sitting right in front of me. But it's called living with your body and other things you hate. Mm. (laughs) And the subtitle is how to let go of your struggle with body image using acceptance and commitment therapy. And so it's again, she's she's kind of like if you're looking to fix your body, this is not the book for you. If you're looking to fix your body image, this is not the book for you. But if you're looking at figuring out how this, you know, 
how you can learn ways so that this stuff doesn't get in your way so much, then let's talk. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, we didn't focus as much on eating disorders. I guess it's my bias of the parts that I was the most fascinated by because eating disorders isn't my specialty was the trauma and the act. But but yeah, it all ties together. And I'm grateful right. that you brought your wisdom to us. And I really enjoyed talking with you. Maybe we'll do another episode where we can talk more about eating disorders specifically. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Valerie, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. And where, where can people find you online? How could they get in touch with you? Yeah, my website is www.wakingupinwonder.com. And so all my social media and email and everything is right there in my blog. Awesome. Valerie, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Me too. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Valerie Martin about her work using ACT. I hope you've learned something new and she offered a lot of great resources, which will all be in the show notes. So look for those there. And as always, I appreciate you listening to Therapy Chat and we'll talk soon. I also wanted to mention, since this episode is airing in September, that September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. And this September, next weekend, matter of fact, I will be walking in the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Walk to Prevent Suicide in honor of a dear friend whose brother died by suicide. Where I practice in Saverna Park, Maryland, there is a big problem with suicide. And throughout Maryland, we have a very high number of youth and adults who die by suicide. People still are not comfortable talking about this problem, but it affects every one of us. And I believe it has ripple effects in the community when one young person or person of any age dies by suicide. All the people they love, their friends and family are affected and the way that traumatic death impacts them, it has a ripple effect into all of their relationships, how they function and work. So this is not an isolated problem. This is something that we are all affected by. And we want to think that these types of things, traumatic loss, like suicide deaths, don't really impact us, but they do. As a bonus episode for this month, I'm going to re-release my interview from last year with Jonathan Singer about his book, Suicide in Schools, and I hope you will find that helpful. Thanks so much. I hope you'll consider making a donation to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention or doing something to raise awareness about the problem of suicide during this month, September, although it's a problem like any that plagues us year round, not only in September. So if this is something you care about, remember you can get involved. You can raise awareness by publicizing the statistics about suicide, sharing the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, walking to end suicide. There's so much you can do. Some takes little effort, some takes more. Everyone can do something. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit 
therapychatpodcast.com. 